is not being televised, but it is being digitized right here on Digital Village. On 90.7 FM KPFK. I'm Rick Allen. And I'm Brittany Gallagher. On Digital Village, we're bringing you stories about the internet and technology and how they're shaping culture and changing every aspect of our lives. How it's glorious and awe-inspiring, but can also have a dark side and maybe how we can prevent some of its abuses. This week on Digital Village, we're taking a deep dive into the incendiary world of social media, specifically the two giants, Facebook and Twitter. In the second half of the show, I'm joined by Nothing Is Secure's Roy Natian to talk about bots on Twitter, the types of traffic they're generating, who's being fooled by them. There are thousands and thousands of fake bot accounts. They all do similar things, but maybe one notable one that the New York Times quoted as a real Twitter user because Jenna or Jenna Abrams had 70,000 followers and was tweeting a lot of really xenophobic things. And the New York Times quoted the account because it looked legitimate, but it wasn't. More with Roy in a bit. But first... Fresh out the results of a multi-year investigation into Facebook's policies and the consequences for the civil liberties of its more than 2.5 billion users, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, COO Sheryl Sandberg, along with other top staffers from the company's team, met with members of the Stop Hate for Profit campaign. The group's crusade, which began as a grassroots effort by activist organizations to hold Facebook accountable for perceived crimes against humanity, has snowballed into a mass corporate backlash and has, surprisingly, attracted mainstream corporations to its boycott of the social media giant's advertising policies. It also led to a rare moment where Zuckerberg and company were literally forced to sit down and listen to the group's demands. One of those confronting Facebook executives was Jessica Gonzalez, co-CEO of FreePress.org. I spoke with her just a few hours after the meeting to get her reaction. Welcome to Digital Village, Jessica. Thanks for having me, Rick. I understand that you had some demands just today. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, July 7th. You had some demands of the main forces of Facebook. That would be Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg. I'm interested in how you got this meeting and uh, what it was that you wanted to get out of them. Well, Free Press is part of the Stop Hate for Profit campaign, which is calling on Facebook to stop profiting off of hate, and which has now gotten almost a thousand big brands and advertising partners to withdraw their ads from Facebook for the month of July. So we've been working together with Sleeping Giants, the NAACP, LULAC, the National Hispanic Media Coalition, Color of Change, Anti-Defamation League, Citizens Media, and other groups to hold Facebook to account. Orgs have met with Facebook many, many times over the years. We've been calling on Facebook to take concrete steps, stop rampant discrimination on the site. Three weeks ago, we sent 10 major requests to Facebook. They run the gamut from calling to establish a permanent civil rights infrastructure, including civil rights expertise, uh, to evaluate their product policies for discrimination, bias, 
and hate to submit to regular third-party independent audits of identity-based hate and misinformation with summary results published on a publicly accessible website. We asked for an audit of and refund to advertisers whose ads were shown next to content that was later removed for violations of Facebook's terms of service. We are asking them to find and remove public and private groups focused on white supremacy, Holocaust denialism, vaccine misinformation, and other forms of disinformation and hate. We ask them to adopt a set of common sense policies on content moderation to help stem radicalization and hate on the platform. And there we're looking specifically at a set of model corporate policies that really uh, provide a systematic change to the nature of content moderation policies and the way that they are enforced on the platform. We've asked them to stop recommending and amplifying groups or content focused on hate, information, and conspiracy theories to ensure accuracy in political and voting matters by eliminating the politician exemption, removing misinformation related to voting, and then to actually create support mechanisms for folks to complain and bring concerns to Facebook, enabling individuals to get in touch with Facebook one-on-one if they are experiencing hate and harassment on the website. So that sounds like a lot, but the fact of the matter is that many of our organizations have been calling for these steps for many, many years. We've seen a lot of lip service paid to civil rights at Facebook but we haven't seen enough action. And based on our meeting today, I'd say we still haven't seen enough action on the policies and the recommended next steps that our campaign is putting forth. Now, were you surprised they met with you or did you expect them to do so and just show up and put on the same kind of performance that Zuckerberg did in front of Congress? I don't know that I'm terribly surprised. I think they had to meet with us, given the pressure, given all the bad press they've received, and and frankly, given the outcry that they're seeing from their advertisers about the state of affairs at Facebook. Right. I'm surprised they didn't come to the meeting with any solutions. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. That's pretty pretty normal. At the same time, it's, it's not completely unexpected. Right. I'm wondering if there were any concessions at all or doing lip service to them, at least. We heard a lot of commentary on, we're already doing some of this, or yes, we hear you, we're committed to this, but with no real firm deadlines. The one thing we did hear a bit about is the first demand around establishing a permanent civil rights infrastructure. They failed or refused to commit that the person they'd hired to run this would be part of the C-suite, and they deferred to a civil rights audit that is going to drop tomorrow morning that supposedly will have more information about that position. But other than that, we got nothing. Uh, Were you referring to C-suite? That's right. We think they need to have, right now, Mark Zuckerberg controls the board and he controls the C-suite. They may say that they're accountable to our communities, but the truth is they have no one with deep, long-standing civil rights expertise in the C-suite. And we think that needs to change. Could you uh, define C-suite for our listeners? Sure. This is the executive team at Facebook that oversees all operations at Facebook and is accountable to the board of directors. 
from what I've read over the years, that team is still just focused on profit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they say they're committed to other things. I think they've been most successful in grabbing profit. They've been far less successful and not successful at all, frankly, at upholding civil rights and protecting people who use their platform. Now, you listed a number of things at the beginning, and I felt that maybe two or three of them fit into how they have treated Trump and his administration and uh, some of his followers with kid gloves. Was any of that discussed in the meeting? I will say the fact that Zuckerberg refused to take down Trump's call to violence against people engaged in protests did come up at the meeting. <laughs> the fact that he left the shooters and looters mm -hmm. tweet or uh, message up on Facebook without any type of flag or accountability is a huge problem. We saw even Twitter took that tweet down or hid it behind a warning label. And so they say they have a policy against even political figures calling for violence. They have a policy against people using the platform to call for violence. They have a lot of exemptions for politicians. And yes, we did discuss that Donald Trump should be held to the same standard and the same rules as everyone else. And if he calls for violence, that post should not be left up. Now, the uh, C-suite keeps echoing the same apology or reasoning or excuse that Facebook does not want to be an arbiter of truth in political debate. That's been kind of a long-standing position. I wonder what part of uh, what Trump says and some of the right-wing followers of his that are on the platform, how much is determined part of that is just political debate or out and out inciting violence? Yeah. There's no room for inciting violence on these platforms. There's no room for racism, frankly. Right. So I think the, the question that this raises for me is really, what is Facebook going to do to prevent its platform being used to commit, organize, and legitimize mass atrocities? We know that Facebook was already used and has found that it was a significant contributor to the genocide that happened in Myanmar. Right. We know that the platform was used to legitimize the internment and killing of the Rohingya. Those people remain in Bangladesh today. And we saw thousands of ads run on Facebook uh, calling immigrants invaders and invasion and suggesting that brown people are dangerous. And then we saw someone shoot up a Walmart in El Paso and say, I came here to kill brown people because they're an invasion. We see on our own soil, mothers being separated from babies and kids locked in cages. And we see the role that Facebook has played in normalizing the dehumanization of immigrants. And so this is not about whether or not he's an arbiter or truth. That's the wrong question. The question is, what side of history does Facebook stand on? Stand on the side of democracy? Does it stand on the side of keeping people safe and making sure we all can 
participate in our democracy without interference or threat or harassment. We're going to let this stuff go unchecked. Using the example of Zuckerberg and Sandberg, do you think they realize how incriminating these charges are or just don't care? I really don't know. They spend a lot of time talking about their good intent. But frankly, intentions matter not when the impact is devastating, so deadly, so dehumanizing, and so oppressive. Yeah, it's right there in front of us. What other highlights, or <laughs> be they lowlights, did you come from the meeting with? I think we're entering a new phase with Facebook. We've all been through the ringer with them before. We've heard their talking points. We see how they work hard to undermine our work in the media. And so I come away with hope because I see how aligned we are with our partners, not just in the Stop Hate for Profit Coalition, but many partners across the globe who are really concerned with the state of things at Facebook. Well, do you think that all these advertisers, corporations and companies, and even non-profits that are pulling their ads from Facebook, do you see that continuing and do you see that actually getting something accomplished? We saw today the New Zealand news site stuff has quit Facebook indefinitely. We're certainly seeing some advertisers to pause for July. We're seeing some advertisers uh, pause for a longer amount of time or say they're waiting to see what Facebook's response is to the demands that we've made. I think the advertisers would like Facebook acquiesce so they can continue to advertise on the platform. But when we hear things like we, what we heard last week out of Mark Zuckerberg, where he said, ah, advertisers, back. that's not what we're looking for here. We're not looking for flip disregard of a massive coalition of civil rights, public interest group and advertisers that are saying enough is enough. We're looking for him to roll up his sleeve. Doesn't seem to be happening yet. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> Jessica Gonzalez, co-CEO of freepress.net. We can find you online, <laughs> right? Yes, you can. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being on Digital Village, and stay safe. Thank you, Rick. You too. I was speaking with Jessica Gonzalez, co-CEO of FreePress.net, giving us her reactions from the recent Stop Hate for Profit meeting with Facebook execs. From Facebook to Twitter. Up next, Roy Natian is here to talk about bots. Back in May, researchers at Carnegie Mellon estimated that half of the Twitter accounts tweeting about the coronavirus were likely bots. And a lot of these accounts are posting and retweeting misinformation. Roy, I believe you have a story for us. All right. I was on Twitter a few weeks ago and I saw someone that was obviously wrong about something on the internet. It was, it was politics stuff, but I got angry really quick. I was thinking, how could someone be this ignorant? How could they say such things? So yeah, their tweet got to me and I just had to respond. So I did. And yeah, I fell for a bot because right after I do something I normally do, 
and that's I check their account to see what types of things they've posted in the past, what kind of person they are. And I noticed something really weird. They were tweeting multiple times a minute for hours a day, pretty much nonstop. And then I realized, oh, great, I, I fell for a Twitter bot. And this isn't an uncommon experience for a lot of people where they respond to something they see that's incendiary on Twitter. And Twitter and social media have a uh, specific phrase for these types of accounts. These accounts are called accounts engaging in inauthentic behavior. And it's a really big problem for social media. We've all heard of the, the Russian interference during the 2016 election and about bots online. Russia, China, other bad actors, they didn't stop their manipulation and disinformation campaigns after the election. It's still going on today, and I'd argue it's getting worse. And they're doing a pretty good job at their goal of dividing us and making us think that truth doesn't exist. Yeah, I also see this a lot. Not that I spend a bunch of time on Twitter. I generally try to avoid that place. But I tweeted earlier about the air quality in Los Angeles after the 4th of July. And I got a few replies, most of which were inappropriate to say on the radio. And I go back and I look at these and these look like they could be bots, fairly new accounts. They don't tweet themselves or they just retweet a lot of different stuff. What are the types of bots that we're seeing? Yeah, these bots are part of these highly organized campaigns of broadcasting misinformation. So all these bots, they'll either retweet certain accounts, like they'll retweet accounts that have the message they want to spread. And then because of the algorithms that are on Twitter and other social media accounts, the more a post or a tweet gets retweeted, liked, the more it then gets automatically shared or featured on other, on real people's social media news feeds or streams. And once you see that happening, they've basically satisfied their purpose. Uh, now that real people see it and they agree with it, they retweet it. And then you get this cascading effect of this misinformation, this disinformation being broadcast to, to everyone. Even if you're aware that bots exist, we naturally ascribe higher importance to things that have more likes, that have a higher like count. I, I fall for it and I'm aware of it. What are some examples of, of bots? Because right, not all bots are bad. Right. The, the internet is full of different kinds of bots. And yeah, there can be good bots and bad bots. It depends on how they're programmed and used. There's some really useful bots out there that'll automatically tweet out important information, like uh, if there's a severe weather warning or if there's a fire in your area. And other ones are just silly, fun ones, like there's this one called Emoji Aquarium that just tweets emoji-efficient plants arranged so that it looks like an aquarium in every tweet. Uh, and then there are other ones that let you play Tetris through tweets. You, everyone just votes on the next move and it just tweets out the next arrangement of pieces and then you just keep voting and then you play a game as a group. Yeah, so, so right, not all bots are bad, but then we have the more incendiary bots. Could you give a few examples of those? Yeah, there are thousands and thousands of fake bot accounts. They all do similar things, but maybe one notable one that the New York Times quoted as a real Twitter user, because Jenna, or Jenna Abrams, had 70,000 followers and was tweeting a lot of really xenophobic things. And the New York Times quoted the account because it looked legitimate, but it wasn't. Yeah, it was a Russian bot, right? It was run by the Internet Research Agency, which is a Russian government-sponsored <laughs> troll farm. There are organizations that are funded by governments to go out and create these accounts and create memes, tweets, catchy things that'll sow discord. What's interesting about them is we're seeing a lot of these bots a lot of like the traffic generated with regards to COVID-19, as well as Black Lives Matter, you know, back in 2018 or earlier on, and then 
the opposing Blue Lives Matter. Both of these have bots that are retweeting and amplifying the message on both sides, which I think is interesting. And I think a lot of people may not know that. And it seems as though what they care about are what I'm going to call the three D's, which are disgust, distrust, and division to really divide the American people. What are your thoughts on this? My first thought about this is it's terrifying because they're very effective in doing this. And I'm aware of all this and I'm even affected, right? So what about people that aren't aware of this manipulation going on? How are they to deal with this sort of stuff? What can we do and and how can we protect ourselves? Because I, I really see social media companies like Twitter not doing a great job at this. And what are some ways that we think they can do better? And then with the current situation as it is now, like what can we as users do? Other than say, not use social media. (laughs) Well, that was actually going to be my first thing. Don't use social media or limit your exposure. When looking at issues involving yourself and huge entities like social media or government, I like to think of it in two parts. What can you do immediately for yourself and what can you do on a more global scale? I think the most important thing is to focus on yourself first and what you can do to protect yourself from this misinformation because it does, if you're affected by it, you then behave in certain ways that can affect other people. First thing is limit your exposure to social media. Personally, I uninstalled all my social media apps off my phone because it was getting to be too much. And now I let myself take smaller doses by just visiting social media online. And that way it's not always on my phone and easily accessible. And if you do use social media, it's important to know your intent and be mindful of how you're using it. So when you do know you're gonna go on Twitter or Facebook, don't just go there to scroll through because you have like a minute of downtime and you're bored. Go there because you want to talk to a specific person. You want to see someone's photos. Don't go there and just consume what you see on your newsfeed or your or your Twitter stream. That way you won't be as influenced by the algorithms just popping up incendiary tweets from people that are actually from bots that game the algorithm. If you do end up seeing something that looks suspicious, something that looks like a bot, you can report them. Twitter and Facebook have a report function where you can actually go and click a specific option for this account is suspicious. It's a fake account. This account is posting misinformation or harmful information. And that that helps them do something about the problem. But really, Facebook and Twitter haven't been doing enough. So this is where you can go into more of a what can I do globally mindset to deal with the bot problem. I think the most effective thing you can do is to put pressure on your legislators to go ahead and do something about the issue. Let them know that this is a problem, that you care about it. Because Facebook and Twitter, they have no incentive to actually fix this problem because it'll hurt their bottom line. So yeah, laws are the way to go about it. Yeah, or unless their users stop, the people who the advertisers are paying to get access to decide to stop uh, using the platform as like a global blackout month of Twitter until you get rid of all these bots. Because even when they do the general culling of bots, right, they're still they're doing orders of magnitude less than what's really out there. Right, exactly. And, And it's important to also know that this is happening in many other countries. There's misinformation in every country and people are realizing that you can use it to manipulate the populace. So yeah, they both could do more and they haven't. I know it's a difficult problem, but 
the solution of just, yeah, we removed 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 accounts today. Look at us. That doesn't solve the core issue. That's just putting a bandaid on it. Yeah. You got to let people know that those accounts that they retweeted or that they were looking at were actually made in a Russian bot farm. Yeah, exactly. And then when these accounts disappear, you're not informed that, hey, you fell for this misinformation. It just disappears and you're left with the belief that you had engaged with a real account or you actually ingested real news, which actually leads me to another thing, which is be skeptical. Just be aware of what sort of divisive topics there are. These are the topics that these bots like to engage in and cause more division. If you see anything that looks divisive, don't trust it. Remember, social media isn't the news. So find the original news source or even better, find the original source that the news is referring to, especially when it comes to scientific reporting. Yep. I think the theme of all these nothing is secure segments is to be skeptical. Yeah. Don't trust anything because <laughs> nothing is secure. Yeah. <laughs> Hence its name. But yeah. It's basically be skeptical and then verify. That was Nothing is Secure's Roy Natian. Social media is ingrained in our daily lives, and right now there's a lot of hidden forces trying to misinform us and cause disgust, distrust, and division in Americans. It's important to be mindful that this is happening. Be diligent. It takes a lot of energy to debunk a lie, but it's worth it. Look at your sources. If something seems off, research it. And as Roy said, be skeptical and verify. That's it for this week's edition of Digital Village. We'll get through this. I'm Brittany Gallagher at In a Quantum World. You can hear this episode again by subscribing to our podcast or going to kpfk.org. Click Audio Archives and search for Digital Village. You can follow us on all things social using at Digital V Radio or at digitalvillage.org. A special thank you to regular guest Roy Natian and Evo Jansen for our theme music. KPFK needs your support. You can donate now and keep glorious, independent, listener-sponsored radio going at KPFK. Just go to kpfk.org forward slash pledge. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen, and we'll we'll see see you online. online.